This is the podcast for RUF at Wake Forest. RUF exists for the convinced and the unconvinced, the lost and the found, the burned and the bored, the cynical and the spiritual. Whoever you are and whatever your story, RUF exists for you. For more information, check out our Instagram at RUF Wake Forest. Now, here's today's teaching. There's a little event this past weekend called the Masters, and um, claps, a few golf claps, uh, appropriate. Uh, tonight we're going to be call, uh, talking about scorekeeping, a little bit about scorekeeping, and uh, in light of March Madness and the Masters, I figured um, that would be appropriate, but also in light of uh, the events of Holy Week. So I'm going to read for us uh, Romans 8, I'll start with uh, verse 18. In hope, he, that's uh, talking about Abraham, in hope he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations, as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, which he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That's why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for our sake alone, but for ours, for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead, Jesus our Lord. And this is the passage we're going to focus on. Who was raised, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. So one of my uh, favorite all-time shows is Seinfeld. I might have mentioned it last time, I can't remember. But Seinfeld's a 90s sitcom. Uh, it's currently on Netflix, so you can go back and watch it. But the two, two of the main characters are George and Jerry. And in one of my favorite episodes of Seinfeld, they're grabbing a, uh, a slice of pizza from this uh, pizza shop that they grew up going to, and it's going out of business. And so they want to get one last slice before it closes down. And as they're in there, they see a kid who's playing a video game, and it's the arcade game Frogger. And they notice when the kid uh, dies, when, when the game is over and the scores come up, that George's name is still at the top of the list. And so George is just freaking out, and he's like, I've, I've got to save this score. And so the rest of the episode is George doing everything he can to get that Frogger arcade console to his house without the power going out. Because as Jerry points out to him, if the power goes out on this console, all of your scores will be erased. At which point George says, you think for once I could just get a break. He says, God knows I earned that score. And the rest of the show is, is like I said, George stopping at nothing to preserve his, his high score. But the score means more than just a video game. It's more than just his name and lights on that console, right? The score for George means everything because the score means that he is something, that he's accomplished something. It means that he's enough for someone. 
And isn't that what, what we all long for in life? To be known, to be loved, to be enough for others, for God, and even for ourselves. So we, we have our own checklists. We keep score because we think that in order to be loved, we have to be first. That's why uh, our Instagram and our, our TikTok and, and our calorie counter apps and uh, our fitness watches, they promise joy, they promise happiness, but they actually give us more anxiety most of the time, right? The truth is our society is obsessed with scorekeeping. Um, one of the social science, one of the great social scientists of our time, Arthur Brooks, wrote an article in which he says that we have spent a lifetime checking things off lists, yet we are unhappy and we don't know why. And we've all been tricked. If we read throughout the scriptures from cover to cover, we see that we've been tricked. We've been duped. Just like Adam and Eve in the garden, we have been deceived by Satan who says that we can be like God if we only reach for more because we don't have everything we need yet to be enough for God, for others, and for ourselves. But we do. We have everything we need, as this scripture tells us. We have everything we need to be enough because everything we need to be enough has already been accomplished for us. By Jesus on the cross. One writer says that this, our scorekeeping mentality is like our lives are a constant accusation. Do you ever feel like that? Do you ever feel like there's just this person in your head accusing you that you haven't done enough, that you aren't enough, that there's more to do, there's more to be, there's more to experience in life? And yet every time you reach that next goal, you realize there's another goal. There's another checklist that you need to cross off. But the truth is that we can never justify ourselves with our scorekeeping, right? That's our key word for tonight, justify, to, to be declared right. Why do we need to be justified? Well, that's what we're going to talk about. Because maybe you feel like you're doing okay. I think you guys are at a really, really great institution, Wake Forest. I went to Florida State. You all are a little higher than me on the academic rung. Um, so maybe you're thinking, hey, I'm at Wake Forest. I've got uh, friends. I'm doing pretty well in my classes. Uh, I've got a great boyfriend. I've got an awesome internship lined up for this summer. I'm okay. And yet, we all need to be justified. Why? Because Andy Crouch, who's one of the speakers uh, coming up at the Forum on Faith and Culture, Andy Crouch said that there are two great questions that haunt us, right? One is, what are we meant to be? What are we meant to be? And the second one is, why are we so far from what we're meant to be? What are we meant to be and why are we so far from what we're meant to be? It's, the, it's living this scorekeeping life, trying to use our own strategies to close that gap between what we're meant to be and where we are. And here in, in Romans 4, the Apostle Paul says, hey, there's a better life. There's a better way out there. It's going to feel like death, but it's actually going to give you life. And so two things for us tonight. 
One, there's a way of death that grants freedom. And two, there's a way of life that produces hope. So first, freedom and death. Um, Verse 25 begins, he, Jesus Christ, he was delivered up for our trespasses. He was delivered up. Think about that word delivered. It's used 80 times in the Gospels, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's used 80 times, and it usually means that somebody has been handed over. Somebody has been betrayed to the authorities because of something that they've done wrong. All right, so it's important that we understand that Jesus was delivered up. And yet, he wasn't just delivered up by Judas Iscariot. He wasn't just delivered up by the Roman authorities. He wasn't just delivered up by his fellow countrymen who who cried, crucify him. Jesus was delivered up by God himself. Jesus willingly and obediently gave himself. He was delivered up for us. In our place. And as Jesus was delivered up, it's important for us to know where he went. Where was he delivered up to? We know he was delivered up to the cross. We know that he was delivered up. He was mocked and he was spit on by by the, the soldiers. We know that he was delivered up, that he was betrayed by his friends, by his family, by his fellow countrymen. We know that he was actually tied to a cross. He was, there were nails in his hands and his feet. He really actually died. Jesus' heart, Jesus, the Son of God, his heart actually stopped. Jesus actually was buried in a tomb. Jesus really suffered and died. But why? That's the question. Why must Jesus die? Well, Paul says here that it's for what? It's for our trespasses. Now, if you've grown up in the church long enough, you've heard this word and you you know it has something to do with sin. But at the same time, there's no way you can actually define what trespass actually is. Means, But it simply means that we've broken the law. It is a word associated with sin. It just means we've broken the law. And when we trespass against God, we accrue debt. Um, you're college students. You guys know what debt is like. Well, most of you do. A lot of you do. I still know what college debt is like, and I'm 38. All right? And ho- hopefully there's more hope for you guys. Um, but think about how much debt that we owe God. If, if every trespass against a, an eternal and holy and supreme being equals eternal death, we've got really no hope in ourselves, right? We've just got debt upon debt upon debt upon debt. That's why Jesus, the Son of God, holy, supremely good, had to die. So when Jesus' arms were stretched out on the cross, he cried to die," which means it is finished. Your debt has been paid in full. So on the cross, Jesus took our eternal death and gave us his eternal life. He looks at you and he says, you are Forgiven. You are 
forgiven. Do you know what forgiven means? Do you know what it means to be forgiven a great debt? Maybe you've trespassed your parents big time before. You've really blown it. Maybe you've betrayed a friend and they've forgiven you. And you're like, oh my gosh, I I, I've got to pay back for this. And they're like, no, you are forgiven. Forgiveness is so disarming, right? It's not what we expect. We expect judgment. We don't expect mercy. Uh, Ted Lasso, I'm sure many of you have seen Ted Lasso. and Some of you probably dressed up like Ted Lasso this past Halloween. If you haven't seen it, Ted Lasso is about this uh, incredible college football coach who's recruited by a British soccer team to, to kind of revive this soccer team because somehow American football and, and British football go together uh, if you're a good coach. But one of my favorite scenes in this is when, when Ted, the coach, he's in the office with his... Um, his boss, Rebecca, who's one of the co-owners of the team. And what Ted doesn't know is that all along, Rebecca has been trying to sabotage this team. She's been trying to get back at her ex-husband, which means that the losing of the team means that Ted himself is losing, even though he's this great guy. He's doing all he can, right? But there's a scene where Ted is with Rebecca in her office and she finally crumples and she finally admits all the ways that she's been sabotaging him. She's like, boom, 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 this, I did this, I did this. And what does Ted do? What do we expect him to do? Storm out, right? What does he do? He stands up, he looks her in the eye. He says, I forgive you. And she's just completely floored because, again, she expects judgment, which is what she deserves. And yet she gets mercy. This is how it is with God. And yet on a much larger scale, right? We deserve, because of our trespasses, we deserve judgment. And yet because of Jesus, we get mercy. So there's a way of death that grants freedom. But Paul says there's also another way because it's not just enough that Jesus died. If Jesus only died and he's still in the grave, then there's still no hope because that just means he's a sinner just like us. But Paul says there's more to the story. Back to verse 25. Jesus was not only delivered up for our trespasses, but he was also raised for our justification. So Jesus has died, he's, he's, he's crucified on the cross, and then he's laid in a tomb, and, and there's a stone that's placed on the entryway. And, and the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate, he tells his guards to watch the entrance because he's worried that Jesus' disciples will come and steal the body and claim that Jesus has risen from the dead. So Jesus is dead. He's in the tomb, and all the hopes and dreams of his disciples are sealed away with that stone. And this is where the story of Abraham and Sarah is important. This is why I included that in, in our reading tonight. This is why Paul includes it. Because thousands of years before Jesus was crucified on a cross, God promised Abraham, in the book of Genesis, God promised Abraham and said, I'm going to make you a blessing. All you have to do is trust, is trust me. And, and if you look at the stars in the sky... I will give you more children than you can imagine, than you can even number. 
And this is incredible. Why? Because Paul tells us, and Genesis already told us, that, that Abraham was 100. Sarah was barren. There's no way they can produce a child. They are as good as dead. How could God possibly bring life out of death? Well, Abraham knew something about God. Through those years of testing, through those years of trusting God, Abraham knew that this is the God of the impossible. This is a God who grants grace when grace is not deserved. This is a God who gives life to death. And that's what God did. He opened Sarah's womb and they produced a son, Isaac. God raised from the dead both Abraham's body and Sarah's womb. And so years and years later, Abraham's distant, distant, distant grandson, Jesus, is raised from the dead on the third day. Jesus didn't just leave the tomb as a ghost. The stone was rolled away. The guards fell paralyzed in fear. And Jesus walked out and showed himself to his disciples. And he ate with them. And he drank with them. And he walked and he talked with them. Which means Jesus' victory over the grave is complete. Jesus is vindicated. He's got no sin. He's got no trespasses against God. Which means that Jesus is the only one who can be your and my substitute. He is the only one who can make us right with God. There's a singer-songwriter named Thad Cockrell, and uh, two years ago, Thad Cockrell released an album, and it was just before the pandemic started. And by the way, I know some of you softball people have to go soon, so y'all are fine to get up when you need to leave. Uh, But Thad Cockrell... Talk about scorekeeping. Come on, softball team. Give us a dub. Thad Cockrell, is, um, he puts out this album in 2000. And of course, March 2000 is when everything shuts down. And uh, he sees that his album uh, clicks and likes and streams are just like plummeting, like they're flatlining. He's got nothing left in this album. And so 2021 rolls around. What, what do we do at the beginning of the year? We, we have New Year's resolutions, right? And so Thad Cockrell's like making goals for himself for 2021. And, and he's trying to figure out what do I do with my life? And one of his goals is get a job because apparently this music thing isn't actually working. And so he's like, what do I do? I've got a master's degree. Maybe I can use that. My, my friends love my hot sauce. Maybe I can have a side hustle or something like that. And so he sends this list of goals to his managers. And it's like, I don't think music thing's working out for me anymore. And they call him the next day and they say, Thad, um, we don't want to talk about your list. uh, Because uh, there was a guy who heard your song playing, randomly heard your song playing in a hardware store. And he loved it so much that that he used an iPhone app to figure out what that song was. And and your song has become his, his like personal anthem and and he's actually booked you and that guy's name is Jimmy Fallon and you're going to be on the tonight show and that cockerel just completely as as you would completely lost it he says he wept for an hour and going on the tonight show and seeing his album go from death 
to, to soaring, right? Number one on iTunes, basically overnight. Just filled him with incredible joy and immense hope. That's what our God does for us. That's what the resurrection of Jesus Christ does for us. So the question is, what, how is this relevant then? What does this have to do with, with my life? Well, Jesus tells this parable in Matthew 20. He says there's a landowner who goes out and he hires workers to, to come keep his fields. And he starts at 6 a.m. And he says, I'll pay you a day's wages if you come and work for me. And so they come. And then he, he goes out every couple hours after that and brings more workers in, brings more workers. And finally at 5 p.m., he brings the last workers in. And so at the end of the day, just an hour later, some of these workers had only worked one hour. Some had been working for eight hours. But at the end of the day, he calls them all in. And beginning with the ones who started at 5 p.m., he starts paying them. He pays them a day's wages. He pays all of them a day's wages. And of course, the ones who came at 6 a.m. are like, Jesus, this makes no sense. Where's, where's, where's the rest of my money? And Jesus is like, that's exactly the point. Can you presume upon a God who is that generous to you? See, some of you have been following Jesus for, for maybe your whole life. Maybe as long, as, as far back as you can remember. You were like the ones who came in at 6 a.m. And, and maybe you see people coming to the faith now and, and you think, you know what? It's not really fair. I've been around longer than these people have, Jesus. And yet God wants you to know through this story that the grace that saved you years and years ago is the grace that you have to fall back on once and for all, again and again, to know the generosity of the landowner. Because when you know the generosity of God, you stop scorekeeping, don't you? When you know how good God is and how much he's given you in Jesus, you can stop trying to win at life and you can just love other people. But maybe you're like, you know, some of the workers who came at five o'clock. Maybe you're still trying to figure faith out. Maybe a friend invited you. I know a lot, a lot of you have been invited by friends before. Maybe you don't know much about Jesus or the church or anything. I'm really glad that you're here and that you're exploring. You're figuring it out. But maybe you look around and you're like, man, I don't know if I'm, I can cut it like these other people around me. I don't really feel righteous. Well, the thing about faith is you only have to have a mustard seed side of it, size of it. To know God, to be loved by God and changed by his grace is a gift, isn't it? All you have to do is believe with a mustard seed size of faith. I don't know if you've seen the movie uh, Wonder. I'll close with this, but I watched it with my daughters and absolutely undone watching this movie. Definitely cried uh, two or three times, but it's about this boy based on a book, maybe you've read the book too, but it's about this young boy, Augie, who has all these facial deformities and he's had over 25 surgeries just in order to kind of function in life. And when Augie looks in the mirror, he doesn't like what he sees. And he often wears this astronaut helmet, even going into school, just to give him enough confidence and courage to go about normal everyday things in life. Now, at one point in the movie, his dad actually hides his astronaut helmet and he pretends he doesn't know where it is. But by the end of the movie, 
Augie has been through uh, hard circumstances and he, and, he, and he comes to this place where he feels more and more confident in the, his own skin. And his dad points that out. He says, hey, Augie, you've really come a long way. Remember when you used to wear an astronaut helmet to school? And Augie's like, yeah, whatever happened to that helmet, by the way, dad? And his dad's like, oh, it's actually in my office down the hall. And Augie's like, you got to be kidding me. I love that helmet. And his dad says, you've got to understand. I love to see my son's face. You may not love it, but I do. It's my son's face. Jesus was delivered up for our trespasses. He was raised for our justification. To confess these words and to believe them for ourselves means that we are trusting in a father who wants to remove all of our masks and look us in the eye and say, I love to see your face. That's what faith is. Believing that your father loves you that much because he does. Let's pray. God, we we bring so much uh, with us this evening, so many burdens, so much uh, resting on our shoulders. We can even feel it as we walk and we talk. We feel it in our head. We feel it in our heart. We feel it in our breath, Lord. We need the Jesus who says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And so, God, we ask for that rest. We know that rest can only come from your son, Jesus who is delivered up for our trespasses, who is raised for our justification. So God, by your spirit, would you enable us to walk this path? In Jesus' name, amen.